You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? My name is Craig Stout. I am a film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, episode 5-0. We have done 50 of these things we thank you all for joining us once again normally i have with me kent swanson but he is not here right now but my other compatriot in the ap nerd squad matt lane at chief in carolina is matt how are we doing today doing good and happy to be back i like the live shows i know i missed the second episode last week sorry guys but i'm back now and in honor of the 50th episode, the number 5-0, we needed to bring in somebody to help motivate us through this one. We needed to really pull through because that's what 5-0s need. So we brought in our guy, Matt Stagner. He's with us live in replace of Kent this week. What's up, guys? I'll be your Justin Hamilton this week. <laughs> oh, oh! I'm so here for that. We're going to get midway through the podcast, and we're going to get, uh, hey, you guys need to do this exactly like it was in practice. Oh, oh I'm going to love it so much. But yes, at StagDSP, he is a writer for at, or at Arrowhead Pride, Arrowhead Pride, and he writes the weekly column, Stagner Things. If you're not reading it, shame on you. You should be. It is a fantastic weekly article, so oh, make shucks. sure you do that. Um, before we get started here, uh, just a, a little couple things here. We got a lot of questions about a certain radio host and comments that were made. Um, we are not going to delve deep into that for a lot of reasons. Mostly it's been bludgeoned to death at this point by the time this podcast comes out. But I just wanted to kind of throw out there from our perspective the three of us none of us have journalism degrees none of us have a drive time radio show none of us are requiring our sports takes to uh be the primary financial reason for supporting our families and the three of us know where that line is and how to stay three billion miles away from that line and not even get close to it. So somebody in that position definitely knows where that line is. And those aren't the kind of people that uh, you should be giving extra attention to if at all costs. There are tons of people doing great sports media right now in Kansas City radio, newspaper, blogs, podcasts, you name it. There are people covering it right now, positive people that are willing to talk about stuff and aren't just all hot takes. Listen to those people. Give those people your time. Don't give people like that that like to cross a line that that amount of time. So that's all I'm going to say about it. We're going to move on here to some positive stuff. You guys keep giving us great 
five-star reviews. We love you so much for doing so. We keep getting them. They keep getting rolled in. I Please go to iTunes and do so. But we actually have a question from the five-star reviews this week. Uh, this is from a guy named Paul. Paul says, I'm an old guy, a retired educator that's just learning about podcasts. I enjoy Arrowhead Pride very much and have listened consistently for not quite a year. I identify with Craig, at least his last name, as I love my Heineken and his beard. Nice. Uh, however, my question is for Matt, Matt Lane. As a fairly new listener, I was wondering when was the last time he thought highly of an early Chiefs draft pick? This past draft. I think Juan Thornhill was a fantastic pick. If the Chiefs didn't trade for Frank Clark and stayed there in the first round and they drafted Juan Thornhill, I'd have been fine, completely fine with that. He's a fantastic player, super high on him. I like it. I know I come across as relatively negative about some of the Chiefs' recent draft picks. The first two draft picks of Breland Speaks, Nicole Hardman, not huge fans of. And I think understandably so from my perspective of when I watch them, I'm breaking them down. I just see guys that needed a lot of work, and I'm not sure the upside was was super high either. So I'm just not sure what was being drafted for with either guy. I think it's kind of a middling upside and a guy that needs a lot of work. Now, maybe this is the rest of the drafts have been kind of interesting. You look last year, it's not like Brett Veach looks like he's had a great draft so far in terms of last year's draft. It looks like a bunch of guys fighting for just rot- rotational positions. Mm-hmm. And Derek Naughty. And Derek Nottie, who is a starter, but he's a one-and-a-half-down starter. I like him. I like Derek Nottie. So I like players in the draft. It's just some of the early picks, I feel like there were better players out there. And for the, really, as far as it goes, you can go back to John Dorsey. John Dorsey took big swings in the draft. He took a lot of big swings, and he missed a lot, but he hit a lot. Right now, I think we're still kind of waiting for Brett Veach to really hit, because right now, in terms of a drafting GM, I'm not sure what his goal is through the draft. I'm still a little confused on what his identity is as a GM as it pertains to the draft. And I think that's my bigger issue. Yeah. Well, I, and there you go, Paul. <laughs> uh, for people who, don't, who listen to this podcast and don't follow us on Twitter, um, he asked if there was another avenue for sending in a question. I created an email account this week, apnerdsquad at gmail.com. If you have any questions that you want to get on the podcast, send us emails anytime, and we'll take a look at those before each week, and we'll get them in if you send us an email. So that was a great point by Paul that we, we ask for these on Twitter, and we don't necessarily give other people the avenue to do that. So please... Do- do that did you set up a p.o box for snail mail yet is that uh... oh man okay so definitely gonna do that i'll just give people my address and they can just send me beer and if you send me beer i will answer your question or if you guys just send him a bunch of mail with no beer he still has to open it up so do that too yeah that sounds like work so let's get to the questions here uh our guy at countryboy567 asks, is Jordan Lucas's job secure or is he on the fringe? Stags? So short answer, I think he's on the roster. I mean, regardless of what you heard on last week's podcast, uh, the only question now is what's his role? I don't think it's really clear at this point. The Chiefs clearly prioritized upgrading the safety positions. I think Honey Badger and Thornhill are your likely starters. At least that's the hope. Uh, and 
from what we've learned on the summer of Spags, uh, the third safety may not be on the field as much as we saw with Bob Sutton. So where's Lucas's role? I mean, he can play free, right? He can be featured on mm-hmm. special teams. There should be a roster spot for a guy like that, but I don't know. Is the is the locomotive just going to be parked at the station until somebody gets hurt? Like, what's the what's the role for him? That's my that's my question. Yeah, and I'm kind of there. It's like in terms of a like a player that's going to contribute. I'm not sure that there's a straight direct avenue for it. And with that being said, then I think that puts him on the fringe rather than as a locked in role. But you're looking at a guy that's probably the next best kind of pure free safety on the Chiefs that the Chiefs have behind Juan Thornhill and even Tyron Matthew if you want to put him back there. But Juan Thornhill seems to be the most natural fit as a free safety. I think Jordan Lucas is next in line just in terms of a trait perspective. So for that reason, I think he has a roster spot available to him. But he does have to show up. Like He does have to come out and prove that he belongs out there on special teams, that he's getting the entire defense, earn some trust. If not, he's a guy that they can save a little bit of money by cutting him, not that they need it, but they can save a little bit. And he's not going to be a major contributor the way Spags runs his defense. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And he doesn't have any dead money against the cap if they cut him here. Now, they did put an RFA tender on him, an original round one. So he he does have a little bit of money invested in him. If they needed the money, it doesn't look like they need it as of this moment. So we'll, we'll see. It's not secure. I, I think we like him, and we like the things that he could do on this defense in you know filling out some spot duty, but I, I would not be too terribly shocked if Jordan Lucas missed this roster. And here that kind of uh, makes it a little bit more of a wild card too. It's a new coaching staff right now. We don't know mm-hmm. what they think of him. Like, the front mm-hmm. office thought enough of him to bring him back for at least one more year. Like, they paid him some money to come back this year. We have no idea what this new coaching staff is going to think of him yet. Last year's coaching staff seemed kind of on the fence about him. Like, he was enough to start over bad safety play, and some guys talked highly of him, but he didn't, like, receive a real starting spot without injuries. So they weren't super high on him. We'll see what this coaching staff thinks kind of as camp goes on. And we can see that for a lot of guys on the roster from last year. Um, the, we're, the actions uh, speak more than words, right? So uh, what, what do they do in the offseason at this position? They went out and invested big. Uh, their, mm-hmm. their earliest draft pick, their, their biggest free agent signing. Um, so that, that tells you something about where, where he stands with the, new, with the new staff, I think. And it's just like uh, our, our friends and, and Matt's favorite early-round draft picks – uh, at, at the defensive end position, all you need to know about what they think of Breland Speaks and Tano Passigno is, <laughs> is they brought in three guys ahead of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, their 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 actions speak much louder than their words. Yeah, Brett Veach is quick to praise everybody. Preach you're, to the choir fine. about what the team doing, speaking for what the team <laughs> thinks. We've been talking about it for a while. Like it's 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 out there, guys. Just you got to know what to read in between, what lines to look through. Because yeah, they brought in position players at positions they think they need improvement at. It's as simple yeah. as that. Super corner. At- Arrowhead at top corner, yeah. At Arrowhead Live, how many DBs do you expect the team to carry, and what might the positional breakdown be for those defensive backs, Matty Lane? I expect ten. Um, I would like to see it as a six and four split, just because Spags doesn't play a ton of three safety looks. Like that's the way I would go, given how the defense is going to look. 
but I think they've brought in enough versatile safeties that they're going to feel comfortable going with a five and five. And especially when you look at the cornerback room, like it's hard for me to make a good case for six of those guys to be on an NFL roster. If I'm being 100% <laughs> honest. So five and five seems the most realistic to me, but I think 10 is kind of the magic number right now. Yeah, I could see five and five. I could also see like uh, uh, Pete put out there in the, the first 53-man roster projection, uh, six and five. You know, definitely with the emphasis on corner. I think if you keep six, there's a pretty decent chance that one of those six is not on the roster today, uh, that they're gonna, they might bring somebody in at, at some point. I think you're right. Some of the, the last two of those six, your first four are going to take all the snaps. Uh, uh, and then the, the last couple guys is really where you're, you're hoping for some upside or for some development unless they bring somebody in and, and try to work them into the into the fold. Uh, yep. def- definitely think your five safeties are pretty much set uh, at this point as well. I, I don't see a lot of intrigue at safety as far as who's going to make the roster. Um, you know, again, barring any any future moves. Yeah, it, it, the only intrigue would be if they went with four safeties in that regard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. I, I think if I, I, if they keep six corners right now, I think the one of the guys is not on the roster currently a guy that gets hit with a cut down you know during camp maybe a trade something like that not a big one i'm saying like you know trading for a guy like charvarius you guys heard it here first uh, josh norman's gonna be cut and the chiefs are gonna sign him craig stout okay from craig stout uh, through maddie lane so was that redskins secondary even good when they had uh all three of those guys on it like they're trying to recreate this Redskins secondary with with all three of their their guys. They ended up playing a, a lot more man than they should have with the zone corners that they had. It, it was mm-hmm. weird to watch. Like when you go back and watch that Kendall Fuller tape, one of the things that we kind of did after the Kendall Fuller trade occurred. Like at a certain point, you were wondering why they were playing so much man with Josh Norman, Bashad Breland, and Kendall Fuller, who were all three good zone corners. So. I, I don't know. I, I feel like Spagnola would use them better than they were used in. I think uh, individually they all played well, but yeah, as a whole, I'm not sure the teams, especially the secondary, clicked that great. So it's been interesting to see just like how much interest there was in just different Redskins corners at the time. But and, and wasn't there a quote out from Fuller that said he did not recruit uh, Breland? Like he was not. He, yeah. he was not out there banging the drum for that He was that not guy. actively recruiting. recruiting him because he, he said he's, quote-unquote, not an active recruiter. But, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I, I doubt that. <laughs> I, I bet he wants his buddies to come play with him. You would assume. So, yeah. Assuming At buddies. Derek Vreeland, assuming Tyreek is suspended some games this season, what are the chances that Byron Pringle starts at least one game this season Excluding the meaningless Week 17 Chad Henney game, hashtag Henney Given Sunday. Stags, what do you think? I like the hashtag. Um, I, I've kind of been the uh, the skeptic or maybe the cynic when it comes to Pringle uh, to this point. I mean, I don't think again. I don't think there's a question that he's on the roster. It's just, is he going to be an impact player? Hey, I'd love to be wrong, but I don't see it at this point. Uh, I'm also a little bit dubious of this term starter, especially when it comes to wide receivers, because. <laughs> Uh, who's a starter? Was Chris Conley a starter, a starter last year? I mean, he played, what, 80% of the snaps, roughly? Uh, so he wasn't. you wouldn't call him a starter. You'd say Hill and Watkins were your starters. Uh, but, but Conley had a lot of snaps. Uh, there's a lot of snaps up for grabs now with him gone. 
So that's kind of where I'm thinking Pringle has a shot at seeing the field in some of those Chris Conley snaps from last year. I, I don't see him really being a, a go-to target or, or any kind of a impact player uh, at this point. Again, prove me wrong in camp, uh, uh, but I, I think I think he'll get some snaps. Uh, Hill and Watkins, uh, again, were the starters last year. I think Miko, uh, my guy, Miko Hardman, <laughs> has a chance to uh, at least be featured in some packages. Uh, but you still have Robinson. Uh, you still have Watkins. Uh, there's going to be other people targeted way more than, than Byron Pringle, as it stands today. Yeah, and here comes Matt Lane to argue all of those. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm with Stags here. The hard part is what are you considering a starter? Now, for me, I do consider three wide receivers a starter. So Chris Conley would have been a starter for me last year. And if you're just going to include two guys, then I think there's zero chance Byron Pringle starts a game. Maybe if, without somebody else getting injured, I guess I got to put that in there. Without another injury, he's not going to start over Demarcus Robinson or Sammy Watkins. But when it comes to that third wide receiver role. I think the split between the third wide receiver is going to be a lot more even than a lot of people think. I don't think McCall Hardman is going to be slated in immediately as the third wide receiver that gets the majority of the snaps as that third wide receiver spot. I wouldn't be surprised if Byron Pringle takes the majority of them. Whether he's the first guy out there as the third wide receiver or not, I don't know if that's how you want to define starter here. But do I think there's a chance that Byron Pringle sees more snaps as a third wide receiver or the mo- third most snaps as a wide receiver in the game? Sure. I think he's a better blocker than McCall Hardman is. I think he's a more threat being the wide receiver than anybody else on the roster besides the first two guys. So, I mean, why would you not trot him out there at some point in time? Now, we still got to see it. Like Stag said, we've never seen anything in a real-life game. You've only seen some preseason tape. But what he can do is impressive to me, more impressive than anything I've seen from the other guys on the team so far. Yeah, and like friend of Arrowhead Pride and the show, BJ Kissel, said on his podcast the other day, um, it they haven't put pads on yet. Uh, there's all kinds of players that were studs in OTAs and studs in minicamp that get cut, oh, you know, with a first round of cuts even in those years before, you know, they, the teams were allowed to carry 90 all the way through preseason week four. So... We, we got to pump it a little bit. He's got to show that he's on the same page when the pads come on and when cornerbacks can press him a little harder. And, you know, he's, he's got to be on the same page as Patrick Mahomes. It's a good start, but, yeah, we still need to see it. So He, he does have some things going for him in the fact that he can, he can run routes and he can block mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, there's, that's, there's a role for a guy like that. Uh, again, I, I predict he's going to see some snaps. I just don't know if he'll actually be able to call him, you know, right. part of the offense. Right. At Nate CH479, you guys talk a lot about what Steve Spagnolo does on defense, but what are his strengths and weaknesses? Matty Lane, why don't you kick us off with some strengths? All right. So what Steve Spagnuolo does best for me is he mixes things up. He's not going to run the same thing over and over again. He's going to present you with different looks, different blitz packages, different play calls, different slants of your defensive line, just all sorts of different stuff. Even if it's not something you would normally do on that play, say it's a second and seven, it's not going to be normally a play that you're going to send a heavy blitz or something on. He'll do it just so it's on film. He's going to do things just to put it out there for offenses to see. Whether it works, doesn't work, well, I don't think it's important to him. That's not the end-all, be-all. 
So he's trying to mix things up. He's putting a bunch of stuff out there on film. And I think he pressures the quarterback really well, whether it's by the guys that he brings in for the defensive ends, the way he put packages his rush plays, where he teaches his guys how to rush the lanes they're going through. He puts pressure on quarterbacks through defensive ends, linebackers, defensive backs, defensive tackles. Everybody's getting pressure on quarterbacks. He's going to make them make contested decisions. And it's just a matter of as long as the secondary can do their job behind it, he's going to make all the plays difficult for the offense to perform in. Yeah, and another thing that I feel like he does really well is that he puts guys in good spots to succeed. You see that he's got kind of an archetype for specific positions. We've, we've talked a little bit, you know, Matt wrote a piece about the sort of size and length you know, requirements for the AP draft guide that Steve Spagnuolo looks for in his defensive ends. Well, he's got different things that he looks for in his cornerbacks as well. You know, we've covered some of those in the summer of Spags. <clears throat> but what he does is he kind of shapes and molds the scheme to try and highlight and feature the best attributes of each one of these players. It's not a rigid thing where he's going to say, okay, we're going to do these two things and we're immediately going to be shoehorned into this box, kind of like the Bob Sutton defense was. So he puts guys in a good position to succeed. And on top of that, he's also a guy that is open to new ideas. He didn't bring in all these assistant coaches to sit there and let him dictate to them. These guys are bringing new ideas to the table. They're going to run through and help him to maximize these players. This isn't just going to be a solitary, you know, situation where Spagnolo is saying, my way's the only way. He's going to get input from all of these guys and bring it into his defense. I think he does that really well, and I'm looking forward to that part as well. Uh, Sp- Stags, do you have anything more to add on that? I know you haven't watched as much as us, but you you, you yeah, may have picked I w- up some stuff. I won't, I won't try to trump the uh, trump the experts here, but experts. I, I do think I do think w- what I've liked about him is is he mixes it up as Maddie said, uh, not just in where the pressure's coming from, but also in the personnel, uh, keeping a deep rotation of pass rushers, uh, keeping fresh legs on the field. I'm excited to see that uh, concept where you're not just wearing out two edge players and with nobody behind them. Uh, clearly, they loaded up on edge guys for spags for that reason to make sure that there's no shortage of pass rushers. You don't know exactly who, where it's coming from or who's it's going to be, but there's a deep enough rotation that it could come from anybody, and they'll have fresh legs hopefully by the end of the game. So that's, that's, that's what I've liked so far. Yeah. Now, let's talk some weaknesses, and and I'll I'll start us off on this. Kind of going in hand with, you know, being unpredictable, sometimes Steve Spagnuolo does stuff that he shouldn't on certain downs, and whether or not that's trying to show a look and trying to confuse teams, it results in some big plays. Like, he will send the house on a play that he absolutely shouldn't against a formation that he absolutely shouldn't or down a distance that he shouldn't. And if that's trying to put stuff on film, that's fine. But good quarterbacks in those situations eat him alive a little bit. And so he he kind of will force the issue at times trying to get that pressure, trying to bring those blitzes. I think it's even Bill Belichick that said the comment, Steve Spagnuolo will blitz you more than anybody. He may not always realize why he's blitzing you, 
but he will blitz you. So I, I think that sometimes he gets a little bit outside of conventions, maybe on purpose, maybe not on purpose, but it doesn't work out. There's As you go through tape, there are some bigger blown plays, which I suppose if you're an advocate of allowing bigger plays versus, you know, a thousand cuts to the touchdown, well then by all means you hand the ball back to Patrick Mahomes, but you may see a few more of those bigger plays in this Chiefs defense this year with just him sending the house. Yeah, and speaking of the blown plays, that's kind of one of my biggest weaknesses. I know Anthony Hitchens has come out and kind of talked about how the defense is a little bit simpler for him to understand. And I don't I think he's talking more as like the technique that he's using, like how he's being asked to play mentally, not necessarily the playbook or what he's being taught. Because from what I can see, Spag's defense is not that simple. There's a lot of moving parts. So guys have miscommunication issues, especially early on. That first year with the Giants, there were a lot more blown coverages in the second year and the third year. Guys need to be used to playing with each other and figuring out the correct alerts and calls to everything that's happening. With this kind of coverage, especially against the pass, there's a lot of different alerts you can put out there for based on the splits that the offense is using, where receivers are lined up, which wide receivers are where. So just little stuff like that. Everyone's got to be on the same page, and there's going to be growing pains there. And then kind of like a joking other weakness I see, how much did Damon Harrison cover up by being just unbelievably incredible? Because <laughs> this guy was, I mean, I can't stress this enough. He was amazing every game I watched the New York Giants. I don't think people give it enough credit for how good he was and how many plays he destroyed against the run or the pass how much of that was based on the position that he was in and what the defense was doing and how much of it was just him being great. Like, I really do want to see what Derek Nottie can do in that same general role. So, yeah, if that was maybe the weakness that I was going to throw out there is, uh, and that's sort of been the line on Spags in the past, is that maybe he needs elite talent uh, in order to feel the, the right type of defense. Uh, you've seen some inconsistency with him or his defenses over the years. Some of that speaks to what you were just talking about, I think, is that maybe there's a learning curve, um, and but maybe it is based on personnel. Uh, so this it's not a Belichickian-type defense where you can plug anybody in and, and make it work. Uh, he needs that deep rotation. He needs enough talent uh, you know, to, to, to run the scheme. So... Uh, not necessarily that, that that's a criticism, but it's just something to watch out for. If there's a learning curve, maybe it's a rough year this year before he gets back up uh, uh, to, to speed by next year. Yeah. Um, we got one more question here, and then we're going to take a break. I like this one. We got our guy, Chief Bearcat. Is Patrick Mahomes already the biggest Kansas City athlete of all time if you take into account the era? For example, is Pat bigger now than Bo Jackson in his time, or let's say Lynn Dawson or George Brett in their time when they were in Kansas City. What do we think? So with every question like this we get about Mahomes, I think we all have this little voice in the back of our head saying, hold up, it's only been one year, you know, something could go wrong. I do not you know, have said voice. Or, or somehow that we're, we're, we're slighting the great chiefs of the past or the great uh, Kansas City legends of the past by, by being too high on Mahomes too early. Um, I, yeah, I, I struggle with that voice a little bit, but not a whole lot. I think maybe if he wasn't there this year, he'll be there by the end of this season if all goes well. Uh, he's certainly 
he's certainly on track to be the biggest guy in NFL history or in, in Kansas City history, uh, maybe NFL history. But uh, I don't know that he was there last year yet because everybody was it was kind of surprised by it. But with the way his offseason went, uh, I, I think he's he's absolutely on the way to, to being that guy. Yeah, and I think it's kind of tricky for me because we're kind of adjusting for era here. So you have to take into account that Patrick Mahomes, sorry, Patrick LaVon Mahomes has social media <laughs> behind him. He can put himself out in front of people a lot more readily than George Brett or Bo Jackson could. But at the same time, they were also baseball players or Bo Jackson split his time. But baseball players, you see their face when you go to see a game. You don't have to see Patrick Mahomes' face if you're watching a Chiefs game. He's got a visor on, he's got a helmet on. People don't recognize NFL athletes near as often as they recognize basketball or baseball players. I don't think there's anywhere in Kansas City Pat could go without being recognized. I don't even know if there's anywhere in the United States he could go right now without being recognized like in a crowded public place. I, I'm with Stags here. I think he's got to be well on his way to being the biggest KC sports star of all time if he's not already there. Cause like I said, he just he has a look about yeah. him that helps a lot. I think that helps too. Absolutely. Now Craig's the only one of the three of us that may remember the Lynn Dawson era. So, so, so Craig, do you remember what it was like growing up with Lynn Dawson? It was chaos. Well, Craig actually Lenny put Lynn Dawson was... on his knee to tell him stories about the old days. So, <laughs> I, I yeah, you're absolutely right about the type of exposure that these athletes have right now. I think, and I'm I'm just going to say this. I think he's already on the same level as Lynn Dawson and George Brett in Kansas City. But I don't know that anybody will ever have the kind of impact that Bo Jackson did in such... It was in such a short amount of time. I know we talk about, you know, Mahomes and how he's just starting and everything like that. Bo Jackson was barely around football and baseball. Mm -hmm. It wasn't for very many years, and he was the hottest thing ever. Like, everybody knew him. Everybody wanted him on everything huge ad campaigns he was the biggest personality in sports in sports that had michael jordan wayne gretzky you know lots of guys that really you know people hung their hats on bo jackson came around and made them look silly and just kind of i don't know that we'll ever get that with an athlete again so i'm not ready to say that pat is ahead of bo or maybe even equivalent to bo but Man, but the thing what. about Bo Jackson, he was he wasn't as much of a Kansas City guy as he was a national guy. Correct. And the Bo Knows campaign obviously launched him that that iconic poster, <sighs> you know, that everybody had, had uh, with the with the bat and the pads. Uh, Bo was a national figure and just a once in a lifetime athlete across so many, uh, you know, across so many genres. I, I, I don't I don't feel like. Bo was as much of a Kansas City uh, local figure as the rest of those guys were. Yeah, that, and that's fair. That's very fair. Okay, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back right after this. All right, next we've got Kenny with the Coke off of Twitter. Why doesn't the NFL use pick protections in trades like the NBA does, Maddie Lane? The NFL, especially compared to the NBA, and I guess the Major League Baseball is kind of even further along the NFL, is very much set in their ways. They're old-fashioned. It's a group of elder gentlemen that kind of control everything. 
they don't want to change. They don't like to change. You see how hard it is to change rules that should be pretty simple for the NFL to change. Little stuff like that, they don't want to change. They want safety. You look at it like the NFL, you have a lot more players out there. You can't trade for, like if you're going to protect a pick when you trade it to somebody, the team would never go for that. A team would not trade for a, trade their player away if they're not going to be able to get back any pick. They would be kind of wasted to them. It would be a wasted season. Each season's too important when you're talking about the NFL because players' careers are short and it's a da- more dangerous game. It just There's so many reasons for it. I do think there's a lot of stuff that the NBA does that the NFL should bring over. I would love to see more traded draft picks. I would love to see more movement of players and picks at all times, but just the nature of the game. And then just, like I said, kind of the old boys club makes it hard to pull off the NFL. Is this a thing just because it's NBA draft season? Yes. Like it, I mean, I, the NFL draft is great the way it is. I, I don't, I don't know that I would change much about it. I do. I do think some of the draft and trade stuff is, is kind of fun in the NBA, but uh, if there's there's very little broke about the NFL draft as it sits today. Yeah, I I would say that from that standpoint, you do see a little bit of that. Like the Chiefs kind of sorta protected the higher pick next year. You know, with the D Ford trade, or not the D Ford trade, the Frank Clark trade, protecting maybe the D Ford pick in that situation. Those are the types of things that you see where it's like, well, the higher of the two, not necessarily uh, if this is in the top five, you know we get to keep it sort of deal, but uh, that's about as far as the NFL is willing to go. Mm -hmm. At Couch Donnie asks the most important question we have on this podcast right now, red sauce or green sauce? Stags? So without Kent here, we've got nobody for the the bad food takes, right? (laughs) Correct, because Kent's answer would actually be rice. I... (laughs) I would love a little context on the question. Are we talking enchilada sauce? Are we talking salsas? Uh, without without the context of the question, I'm just going to go green and because I love a good salsa verde. You can put it on just about anything. Uh, but uh, I, I reserve the right to change that answer if, they're, if they were asking <laughs> something different. My man, you're never eating Italian food again if you can only have green sauce, though. But uh, I assume pesto? he's talking like, Mexican. Oh, yeah, pesto. No? But I, Mm. And that's all, though? I mean, so here's the thing. I look at it as this. If you can only have one color of sauce for all your foods in the rest of your life, I can oh, get by. Man. I can get by with red sauce and no green sauces. While I'd be missing mm. out on some stuff, maybe. But I can get by with everything. You take away all red sauce, there's there's some limitations there. Nah, not for me. Okay. I, I could do green sauce on everything. Like, if that's the way it is, because I will eat tacos with salsa verde, just like Stag said. Well, that's fine. All day long but i mean you know pico's kind of red pico can count as a semi-salsa kind of you're missing out on pico now what are you gonna do how are you gonna go without pico? That's kinda it's kind of green too it's got jalapenos in there yeah. you can have that's not a sauce well, if we're eliminating <laughs> all green sauce. foods altogether. No, no 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 that's a sauce that's pico a... de gallo is a sauce just a chunky sauce is it where's it at in chipotle is it in the sauce section or the topping section uh, we are we going back to Chipotle being the Bible of food again? I, I, I so. I'm not here for those takes. They, there was free delivery during the NBA Finals. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next we got at Rise of Mahomes sent us a question on a scale of one to ten, with one being very comfortable and ten being extremely nervous. 
What's your level of comfort with the defensive line with and without Chris Jones? He added his. He said it's a five without Chris Jones because he believes in Brendan Daly. But if he had Chris, it would lower to about a two or three. He'd be very comfortable in that situation. Oh, man. One, the YouTube chat's killing you guys because you guys can't eat barbecue anymore with your green salsa take. So, yikes. Um, So, on a scale from... Revisit that topic. From a scale from one to ten... With Chris Jones, I would feel a one. Like, I'm super comfortable. I think it's a very good defensive line. I like some of the depth there, and I think there's some stars, Chris Jones being one of them. Without Chris Jones, I'm probably, hmm, I'm going to go with a five. Yeah, I think a five is a good number because I think that Daly and Spags can do enough to make it work without Chris Jones, but he obviously makes a big difference. I would question their ability to get interior pressure without Chris Jones based on the body types and the lack of production we've seen from other guys. So you would kind of be working without interior guys. I'm not as sold on Xavier Williams as some other people. So you're kind of looking at Derek Noddy and rookie Colin Saunders as your interior, even pocket pushers. I'm not super comfortable there. So maybe a five, six without Chris Jones. Stacks. Yeah. I think we're on the same page there. I've, I love the unit with Jones. A lot, lot of depth there. I think there's a lot they can do with Jones. Without Jones, yeah, probably a five. You hope for a good uh, rotation there, but I, I, I don't, I don't think it's ideal. Uh, so definitely an important guy on that, on that front. Yeah, I, the, we can sweep that question right there, especially when you start factoring in Ogba and Speaks as guys that can rotate in as, as a three tech there, and then Colin Saunders' development. I, I think that they can cover for him a little bit it's obviously not great but it's not awful in that situation they still got good guys on the outside I think that they've still got some uh some people movers up front I think that they can do some stuff in the run game significantly better than they did in the previous couple years but yeah if Chris Jones is here then all of a sudden a lot of those worries go away completely it's a one at that point at Chief Lutz 11 which panic button are you hitting first? And I'm I'm taking this as that this gets the player in-house immediately. Tyree Kill or Chris Jones right now, Stags? So I'm hitting the button on Jones, but it, it's close. I, I think Hill definitely makes that offense so much more dynamic and really opens things up for everybody. But the counterpoint to that is, you know, uh, Mahomes. So I, I feel better that Mahomes is going to find enough guys to make plays <laughs> than I do about what's left of the interior defensive line if Jones isn't there. So uh, I, we need Jones here. Yeah, I think I'm leaning that way. I was kind of trying to talk myself into Tyree Kill just because I do think he opens up a lot for an offense. The fact that his speed over the top and the, that he's becoming a very complete wide receiver helps a ton. But what this defense can do with Chris Jones, like the level that he elevates them to providing that consistent interior pressure is just another step. Whereas Tyree kills like a half step more for the offense. I think Patrick Mahomes combined with Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle, Cody Thompson, so on and so forth. It can be good enough. It can be plenty good. It can be a very good offense. Oh, Travis Kelsey. How can with we Kelsey him? and the running backs, yeah. Yeah. Like there's plenty there to work with. I'm even forgetting guys, but with Chris Jones, like I just talked about, there's not a lot of depth behind him in the interior in terms of pressure coming out of the middle. And I think you're seeing that in the NFL right now. That's huge. So Chris Jones is just a little bit more higher up there for me. Yeah, I'm Chris Jones as well. And my take on that is 
Tyreek Hill knows the offense. Chris Jones needs to get here and learn the defense. So get him in here immediately because he's going to be an even better player than he would be if he wasn't here. No, sir. He is a three-tech. It doesn't matter what defense we're playing. He knows the defense. He does not need to be here for camp. It will solve nothing. Yeah, well, it it won't solve anything for him if he holds out past August 6th and now all of a sudden doesn't accrue another season towards free agency and therefore becomes a restricted free agent next offseason. He'll be in camp, guys. He's going to be in camp. Joel Corey said it. He'll be here. So, uh. For those of you in the live chat right now, go ahead and submit some questions. We're going to answer one here, and we'll come back and answer a few of yours before we wrap this thing up. Uh, so go ahead and put those in the chat. At Enigmatic Vein, ask this question. Matt Castle, Elvis Gerback, and Brody Croyle are your three options. Which one do you give a franchise contract to? Which one has the best hair? And which one was the most infuriating? I think we can call this one FHI instead of the traditional FMK that the the game goes with. So Stags, uh, what's FMK? Dude, <laughs> Vain, Vain, this is brutal, man. That that that's rough. It, at least at least he didn't mention Thigbone and Damon Heward on this list. Uh, I made it a lot easier. But but if I got to go with this list, all right. Uh, Brody Croyle had the best hair. Uh, and that's that's about it. That's the extent of his NFL career. Uh, Castle to me was the most infuriating because that guy, if everything was right around him, he was he was nails. The guy was a tremendous quarterback. If nothing around him was out of place, but if anything went wrong, if there was a pass rusher within five yards of him, uh, he was completely inept. And so that was really infuriating to me. That he drove me nuts to watch. Because uh, you wanted him to be good, you saw that he could theoretically be good, but he just wasn't uh, when you needed him. So I guess uh, I guess that leaves Elvis Gerback as my franchise guy. Ooh. <laughs> I am not happy about it, but uh, uh, but you play the hand you were dealt. Uh, what do you think, Maddie? Man, this is weird. All right, so here's the thing: I don't quite remember Elvis Gerback's hair, but I'm still giving him best hair because I want to put the other guys up somewhere else. <laughs> Uh, most infuriating to me was Brody Croyle because I think over the other two guys, I liked his physical talent. Like, I think there was something there when you saw his best plays. You're like, okay, I can see how this guy could progress into the NFL, and it just never, ever happened on any level, mentally, anything. Just there was nothing there, and I think there was a little bit more talent than his NFL career showed. And then so franchise contract, I mean – Matt Castle bounced around the league for a while. He's talked to enough people that he has to know something. I could put him there as my third quarterback and help out in the room, maybe. And I'm still I'm iffy on the Elvis Gerback hair thing. I honestly have no clue what it is at all, but I, someone's got to go there. So you uh, gave Matt Castle a franchise contract to be a backup? Didn't yeah. didn't we try that once? Hey man, <laughs> we did. We did, and however, this is the thing. I remember a little bit about Elvis Gerback's play on the field, and he was a lot better throwing the ball to the other team than he was his team. So at least Matt Castle just couldn't put a hat on. That's true. Matt Castle did struggle with it, and it was probably because of his terrible hair. So he does not get best hair. Um, I'm cheating. I'm giving nothing to anybody. No cheating. Most infuriating in a three-way tie. (laughs) <laughs> that's I, that's tough. 
now if I had Kent, to pick with Kent not here, you know the the best hair is a, is a farce anyway. So that's true. That's true. Yeah, why are now, we giving my, out hair takes? Mine would have been exactly like Stags's. That his would have nailed mine there. So uh, let's go to the uh, chat for just a second here. Awesome, Alex the thirteenth. Question: If Dorsey were still the general manager, do you think he would have made some of these same big moves in free agency that we've seen out of Brett Veach? He would have made yeah, he, big moves. Yeah, he would have made big moves. I just don't know if they'd be the same. I think some of the moves that Brett Veach has made have been very much with his, the new defensive coaches in mind, especially this year. Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew, these are things that came directly from Steve Spagnuolo. I think John Dorsey's a little bit more, not going to say thick-headed, but he has his own idea of what the team talent should be. And then he has his guys that he was bringing in, the Tano Passanios, things like that that he believed in. I think you'd get a little bit more hard-headedness and stubbornness in terms of some of the guys on the team that were going to be in the picture. And you definitely have big names brought in. I just don't know if it would be the same names. Well, I, I think the real answer is they, they wouldn't have been able to bring in the big guys because there would not have been a dollar <laughs> of cash space left, right? Uh, no, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think that he probably would have re-upped some of his guys to such big contracts um, again, showing some stubbornness and sticking with Justin Houston to the bitter end, for example. Um, not that that was a, his original guy, but I think I, mm-hmm. I think we sh- we saw that he wasn't shy about handing out the big second or third contract. Yeah, I I think that we would have seen some moves. I, I think they would have been splashier, more athletic guys. Maybe, maybe not the same style of player that's been brought in not necessarily like mentality type guys and I feel like that's that's who Brett Veach has tried to go out especially on the defensive side of the ball and go out and you know get guys that are going to try and change the way that this entire defense thinks about football from the locker room perspective I think Dorsey just kind of lets his coaches sort that out I think he's doing a similar thing in Cleveland not that it's a wrong way to approach things I just don't know that we would have seen a priority on guys like Honey Badger I think maybe that they would have stepped up and countered maybe the Earl Thomas move mm-hmm. in that situation and tried to bring him in rather than you know letting him go on to Baltimore there uh, we got one from Cole Kalir, I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, man. If Kareem Hunt doesn't return to Cleveland in 2020 and the Chiefs are willing to give him another chance, should they? That, we would all love that, but that's not, it's not happening, man. That ship has completely sailed. I think, I think that he, he burned a bridge. You know, we can all look back and say, man, given what we've seen, you know, hindsight might be 2020 we might think hey this is a guy who deserved another shot but if if the story is true if it's really uh, a case of dishonesty and a trust issue with the with the coaching staff and the front office there's there's no coming back from that there there's no reason for them to to to, for us even to debate that i think it's it's especially with andy reed here if he's still here then yeah I, i i don't think that there's a chance that that comes back and I, I don't see the big push for it either. Like, Kareem Hunt's a fantastic running back, don't get me wrong. I don't think Andy Reid's system and whoever's going to take control of the team if that happens by 2020 or beyond is going to need a running back that is an all-star, all-pro level running back. They're looking for a guy that fits specific roles. The Chiefs didn't expect Kareem Hunt to be this good when they took him in the third round, right. or they wouldn't have. 
So they right. were just looking for a guy that fit their mold. They can find other guys that can do that. There was a question that I saw a couple times from uh, Gary Holland. Is McCole Hardman going to be a straight-line wide receiver, or can he be a slot wide receiver too? I'm going to back clean up here. Oh, you're going to back clean up. I, I think right now he's bubbles, jets, and and you know a straight-line receiver. I, I think that they're going to try and work him into becoming a slot receiver, but typically those guys are more refined route runners, understand the levels that they need to run at different you know option routes and things like that out of the slot. I don't think he's there. The things that we know about him, he's still working on his route running ability. He's working on you know, getting the playbook together and everything like that. That's not to say that he can't become that. I just think that expecting that out of him early is going to be a little bit, uh, not necessarily foolish, but uh, a little bit too much for him. I think that they'll use other guys in the slot before him. Yeah, totally agree. I have nothing to add. Go ahead, Matty. Yeah, no, and that's where I'm at right now. I don't think Nicole Hardman has as good a change of direction as people want to picture him having based on his size and speed. I think that he is a little bit more linear of an athlete than a Tyreek Hill, who he gets compared to a lot. He can change directions well, but if you look at him and you watch him, he takes a lot of steps. He does have to gear down quite a bit to turn. just think he's a little bit stiffer than he gets credit for, so he's not going to be a traditional slot wide receiver. But in the future, if he develops a route running plan and starts to understand how you get off the line of scrimmage, how you set up defensive backs, all this stuff that he just simply doesn't have yet, there's a chance he progresses into a receiver that can play anywhere. But right now, he kind of has to play off the line of scrimmage, and he definitely works best on a screen or running deep down the field on a vertical route, which is going to be a little bit less from the slot. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's still the, usage for him there. It's yeah, just, there's value in that, for yeah, sure. It's just trying to expect him to come in there and be that kind of slot receiver is not, not, not probably the best outlook for this season. So... Thank you guys for your questions. From oh the no, live there's chat. one more. You're not letting one me. More? I'm not. We got? Yep, we got a. Uh, which cornerback is your early 2020 draft crush? Ooh. And wide receiver, but I feel like we've talked wide receiver enough. I'm sticking. I'll go wide receiver real quick. Ceedee Lamb. He's a stud. He should overtake Jerry Judy or be at least in contention for a top five pick. In my opinion, I don't think he will be. He should be. But I just want to hear corner takes because I don't think we've talked as much cornerback 2020. I, I know I've talked plenty about Bryce Hall. Out of Virginia, I, I like him a lot. Uh, I believe his name is Jalen Johnson out of Utah. I've watched a little bit of him, but my my actual crush, and I actually had kind of a crush on him when he went Craig's back to school this year. Craig's going full Maddie Lane right now and just taking everybody. Christian Fulton out of LSU was fantastic last year. When I watched Greedy Williams, Christian Fulton was better than him in a lot of games. Yes. And Greedy Williams was like a lot of people's consensus number one overall guy that they loved i loved christian fulton when he decided to return to school i was sad because there were some questions about his attitude questions about him coming out i thought he was going to slip and he's a real talent so be on the lookout for him next year yep and i had those two guys were two of mine that i wanted to mention i think that trevon Diggs at alabama he got hurt last year a little bit mm -hmm. but he's got the talent i just want to see him continue to put it all together and the other guy i wanted to touch on was paulson adebo out of stanford He's a guy, I watched him every single like, week. They always get those primetime games because Stanford's a good team. He always wore mismatching sleeves, so he'd have on like white gloves and white cleats, but black sleeves, or white sleeves with black gloves, black cleats. We stood out. 
And he's just a guy that he made a lot of plays, especially in the red zone. He just made a lot of plays. I didn't study him or anything, but he just he caught my attention early on. And I believe that he is going to be eligible next year. Okay. Uh, thank you guys for your questions again. Uh, this last one is kind of something that was a theme between a couple of people that asked a question. At Tuck Hag asked, how does Andy manage the offense if the defense is considerably better? Teams have identities, and the Chiefs has swung so far to the offense. Whereas, at Binary Phalanx asked, won't a better defense give this offense more possessions to counteract the Mahomes statistical regression? Peyton Manning's 55 touchdowns were helped by the defense and extra possessions. Kansas City was 23rd in offensive plays per game in 2018, yet they were first in scoring in yards. So what do you guys think? Is this defense going to have that sort of significant impact on on the offense simply by giving them the ball back more, or is it going to be still more of a focus on the offense? I think there's going to be still more of a focus on the offense. I mean, it's Andy Reid still. We have to take – this is Andy Reid's team. Everything goes through Andy Reid. Andy Reid is offense. Like, you can kind of sum it up about that. The defense being better will help in terms of being more plays for them. It's going to get the ball back, I think, more often. But more so, it's going to get them back the ball situation. Like, they're not going to have long stuff where things are going – well, not well, little stuff like that. Sorry, guys, I'm interrupted here by Kent with a fresh haircut jumping in on the live YouTube channel. I'm sorry, audio-only listeners, you guys just missed the highlight of your year. But back to the question at hand, the defense is going to be situationally better, which I think is going to make the offense better. You're going to have a few more situations where the offense isn't going to have to play catch-up or just outscore the opponent. So I see why you think it's going to make the offense slow down a little bit. On the other hand... Andy Reid's kind of known for backing off in the second half when the score's not close anyway, so I don't think it's going to make too big of a difference. They're going to put up points in a hurry. They're going to be efficient. That's not going to change. It's still going to lead to a high-volume offense. Yeah, I, I'm not concerned about Andy Reid's identity at this point. Uh, I think it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty well established. Uh, but what's one of the best Andy Reid teams in history is when Jim Johnson was there putting on a show on the defensive side. Um, so... I, I think it's only going to help overall. Uh, it's certainly at this point about winning more than it is about maintaining some offensive identity. I, I do see both sides of that argument as well on the defense. I think you could uh, you could argue that a really bad defense uh, lets the opponent score quickly and the, the offense gets the ball back. Uh, some of the worst defenses are those that give up those long scoring drives and, and death by a thousand paper cuts, mm-hmm. as Craig said. Um so I really, I think it all is going to come down to turnovers. So if this defense can be opportunistic and force turnovers, you're going, to, you're going to have a few extra possessions that way, and that's only going to help Mahomes. I'm also really not worried about Mahomes' statistical um, regression at this point. <laughs> uh, it makes no difference to me if he throws 50 touchdowns, 55 or 45. Uh, you know, there, there's one goal here this year, and I, I think he's going to be better whether he throws 50, 40, or 30 touchdowns, uh, he's going to be a better quarterback than he was last year. The team will be better overall. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's all good on the it, for defensive improvement. Yeah, yeah. And that, I totally agree that Mahomes is going to be better this year. But I'm, I'm going to go hot take because I, I am in agreement with you guys on a lot of that. I'm going to go hot take. Um, Mahomes is better 
because the defense is better and Patrick Mahomes does not know how to switch it off. Unless Andy Reid is pulling him off the field, Patrick Mahomes is going to keep playing that way. I realized that last year he had to keep playing that way and he had to keep the pedal down because the defense was so bad and they were scoring so much. But I'm saying right now, that's just Pat. I think that we're going to call it to steal from Lewis Riddick, Ferrari Pat. Like, he's going to put that pedal all the way to the floor. We're going to see him go. Maybe we even see Andy Reid break out of Andy Reid's shutdown mode a little bit and let him sling the ball a little more. Maybe we see some, you know, 30-point victories several times this year just because the defense does its job. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of people were thinking that Andy Reid was being more aggressive when, when Mahomes became the starter. Uh-huh. Uh, but he was probably calling the same plays he would have called for somebody else. But Mahomes just takes the more aggressive read, right? He's, he's attacking all the time. He's checking to the to the pass. He, he's doing yeah. whatever he can to go out and make a play. So uh, I, I don't know that you see... Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to tell if Reed is taking his foot off the gas as much because Mahomes <laughs> is the quarterback. Well, Pat said that he one of the things he was working on is taking the easier play, like <laughs> because because he was throwing you know the harder one, the more difficult one, trying to make it all happen in one throw. So he's trying now, to work we'll, on that, but we'll see. Will Will that be better? I mean, that was one of the thoughts on him in college, right? Was that that defense was so bad, he felt like he had to make every single play. Right. Uh, and so he took a lot of unnecessary risk. Uh, is that is that really the case? Is it always he's stuck with bad defenses, or is that just who he is? I I just hope that, that that's who he is, that this is who we get for the entirety of his career. I believe it's who he is. It seems yeah. I feel pretty confident right now <laughs> saying that's who he is, just judging by everything he says and does. There's a chance, I mean, and I'm sure as he ages – into the NFL, he'll get a little bit more calm. He doesn't seem Aaron, or not Aaron Rodgers, but Brett Favre-like, where he's just going to go out there slinging no matter what the score is, no matter what's going on. He seems a bit more calculated, but he's never just going to try to sit back and manage a game. I don't think you're ever going to see the mm-hmm. day where Patrick Mahomes goes into a game trying to ten yard, five-yard pass you to death down the entire field. It's just not going to happen. Nah. Yeah, he'll get bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for joining us this week. This has been AP Lab 50, and we thank Matt Stagner for joining AKA us. Okay, Justin Hamilton for motivating A- us to yes. finish strong. Yes. Hey, some, somebody's got to do it. You powered us it. through. The green sauce take really it got us ready for OT there. And oddly so. enough, Kent's off to Indianapolis right now. Weird. Huh. Huh. Weird. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you later on this week. <laughs> <laughs>